Today, I want to speak to you appropriately on the subject, a new beginning. Life offers an endless array of new beginnings. You get a great new job. It's a new beginning. You fall in love and get married. It's a new beginning. You are blessed with your first child. It's a new beginning. You move to a new city to start a new job. It's a new beginning. You are cured of cancer. You ring the bell. It's a new beginning. You graduate from high school. It's a new beginning. Now, new beginnings can go well or they can go poorly and it's all based upon one's attitude and actions. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 8, Genesis chapter 8, and I want to point out Noah's new beginning. And then I want to draw some relevant applications for these seniors and for all of us who will have our own new beginnings at different points in our lives. Now, before we get into the meat of the sermon, it's important that we establish the context. God had been warning the world in Noah's day that he was going to judge the world and that the world was going to come to an end as they knew it. But the people of Noah's day had written God off. They had said, we don't need God. We, we will make sure that we take care of our own business. We'll do what we want to do, but we will not submit to God. Well, judgment was inevitable. Their hearts were utterly corrupt. God in his infinite grace gave them prophetic signs that the end was near. God in his infinite grace gave them strong preachers and chance after chance after chance to repent and believe in God. All to no avail. God finally released his judgment upon this sin-sick world in the form of a worldwide flood that wiped out everything that had the breath of life. Only a few animals, birds, and creeping things, along with Noah and his family, were safely tucked away in the ark that God had told Noah to build. It was God's only means of deliverance. Noah and his family were about to experience the ultimate new beginning. What was it like for them? What lessons can we learn from Noah's ultimate new beginning? Well, let's look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 8. The first four words just jump off the page. But God remembered Noah. Isn't that great? I, I tell you, the but gods that you find in the Bible are amazingly powerful and relevant to all of our lives. But God, in Ephesians chapter 2, being rich in mercy, offered salvation to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. 
Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. What a picture the Word of God presents to us in these verses. I want you to imagine this. Noah and his family lived on the ark for over a year. It's about a year and 15 to 17 days that they lived on the ark. They lived on the ark with a bunch of stinking animals. Now, it's, it's tough when you're in a home and you have multiple generations in your home. It's tough, right? But can you imagine living with your kids and your kids' wives for, for over a year? A year and 15 days, 17 days, along with the stinking animals? I, I would imagine they got a little claustrophobic, don't you think? Now, it's a good thing that the ark was a very big boat. It was longer than a football field, so I guess they could get some exercise. They could go out in the ark and run down the aisles and, and run some 40-yard dashes and get some exercise. It was great for them that it was a big ark, but I tell you, after a year and 15 to 17 days, it had to be a little monotonous. But there they were. Now, look. As far as we know, God did not speak to Noah the entire time they were on the ark. He did not speak to him. God had told him to build the ark. God told them to enter the ark. And then they entered the ark in obedience to God. And yet here they are floating on the flood of God's judgment with dead people and dead animals all below them. And they heard nothing from God. It was silence. I wonder, did Noah feel abandoned? Did he feel like God had forgotten him? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like God had forgotten about you? Have you ever felt like God didn't know what you were going through? And that you were abandoned by the living God? This phrase but God remembered Noah jumps off the page. God hadn't forgotten Noah. God knew all about Noah and God was there for him. By the way, when it says God remembered Noah, you need to understand that God has never forgotten anything. God has never learned anything because God knows everything. God is omniscient. There's nothing that God does not know. This was God's way of saying to us and saying to Noah that God will keep his promises. He will always keep his promises. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, the Bible says, thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that Sodom and Gomorrah, that God, here, notice it, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow 
when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So God remembered Abraham and he moved in supernatural power to deliver Abraham's nephew Lot and his family from the, the, the judgment of God that was coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel, Jacob's wife, and, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So God remembered Rachel who had been barren and when he remembered her, he gave her a baby. That baby's name was Joseph, a pre pretty important character in the Bible. But how did God remember Noah? Well, first he kept his promise to deliver Noah and his family from the judgment of the flood. Secondly, he caused the flood waters to recede. The Bible says God caused that to happen. It wasn't something that just occurred by nature. Well, let, let me tell you, nature's laws are subservient to nature's Lord. Jesus is Lord of everything. The Bible says that he keeps everything in the world working the way God wants it to work. Jesus has that kind of power. So the wind blows, the sun's rays bring about evaporation, maybe for the first time in history because before the flood, there was a water canopy that surrounded the entire globe. It filtered out the UV rays. That's why men and women lived 900 years. But that had all collapsed in the flood. And now the sun was shining. The winds were moving. Evaporation was taking place. And because the entire topography of the earth was radically altered by the flood, Mountains were pushed up. Sea basins were carved out. Deep sea basins were carved out. And gorges and canyons and caverns were formed all over the planet. And gravity forced this massive amount of water down into the ocean basins, down into the rivers and lakes, down into the massive catacomb of underground reservoirs that God had created in the earth. And all the water began to recede. It was a new beginning. Look at chapter six, chapter eight, verse six through 12. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Now the raven never came back. You know why? Because ravens feed on that which is filthy and foul. I'm sure there were dead bodies, dead animals, dead bodies of human beings floating in the flood water and the raven would go to one. I'm telling you, it was a field day. It was a, a buffet for ravens, scavenger birds. And they pecked away and they gorged themselves on the dead bodies of that were floating in the flood. But then the Bible says in verse eight, then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. 
So she returned to him in the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put his hand and t- put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet seven more days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. Oh my goodness. Don't you know that Noah and his family got excited when this precious little dove came back with an olive leaf in her beak? What an amazing moment that was. Then the Bible says, the dove, verse 11, the dove came to him toward evening and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now, what do you think that told Noah? That told Noah that things were getting good out there on planet earth that things were growing again, that life was coming. The the raven reminded Noah that in this new world, there was death. But the dove reminded Noah that in this new world, there was life. There was life. Now notice verses 13 to 19. Now it came about in the 601st year, that's the 601st year of Noah's life. It's the seventh century of his life. The water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah. Now underline that in your Bible. That's very important. Then God spoke to Noah. We know that God spoke to Noah and told Noah to build the ark. We know that God spoke to Noah and said it was time for he and his family and the animals to enter the ark. And now we find that here as the the, the, the earth has dried out and life is beginning again on the planet. God speaks to Noah again. And God spoke to Noah, verse 15, saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. That's exactly what God told Adam and Eve in the beginning. God said, be fruitful and multiply. That's exactly what God intended for the animals to do in the very beginning when God created them. So this is like a new creation, a a new beginning for planet earth, a new beginning for Noah and his family. The Bible says in verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Oh, it must have been quite a scene. Can you imagine it? Noah is the first one out of the ark. 
Then comes his family. Then comes the animals. The only thing, there was nobody there to witness it except God. This is all that was alive on the planet at that time. Now, what do you do when you've been faithful to God, but it seems like his word has dried up? You do exactly what Noah did. You stay faithful to the Lord by consistently obeying him. Noah refused to cave in to doubt and discouragement. You know, when you're, you're, you're approaching that new beginning, there comes a time in your life where you ha- you're still back here, you're not in the new beginning yet, and you can get discouraged and you could, can be filled with doubts. But Noah would not give in to that. You know what I find interesting? The Bible says that Noah went to the, the window, Noah went to, the, the, to the, the window in the ark and he looked out. He didn't go to the wall and turn his face away from the window. He was excited about what was going to happen. And he wanted to see what the earth looked like. He fully expected God to come through for him. Let me ask you a question. Do you fully expect God to come through for you? Seniors, do you expect God to come through for you? Do you have that kind of faith in God? I hope and pray you do. So God spoke to him and told him it was time to leave the ark. I'm sure Noah's sons in the background were saying, it's about time. It's about time. They were ready. Noah was ready. But notice this. Noah and his family did not leave the ark until God said it's time to leave the ark. They didn't take matters into their own hands. It took great courage for them to step out of the ark. I love what Ray Pritchard said in one of his sermons. He said, and I quote, the ark had been their home for over a year and it was safe. Now they were leaving the known for the unknown. The world they had known was gone forever. Cities gone, roads gone, homes gone, people gone, geography changed, landmarks all different. Nothing looked the same. Everything was new. It meant leaving behind safety and security. It meant trusting God for a totally unknown future. To leave the ark meant embarking on a new life with new dangers and new opportunities. And that's exactly what these seniors are doing. They're embarking on a new life. They've been with mom and dad all these years. They've been under their care. They've been under their protection. They've been under their provision all these years. But here these seniors are about to step out away from their families and begin a new life with new opportunities. And yes even new dangers. It sounds a little scary, doesn't it? But it's exciting at the same time. Hey, that's what new beginnings are all about, right? In Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 to 22, the Bible says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. You know, when I read that and we were singing God so good, I thought maybe Noah and his family gathered around that altar 
to worship God. And maybe they sing, God is so good. God is so good. Listen, if there's anybody in history who could testify to the goodness and the grace of God, it was surely Noah, a man of God, a man of great faith. Noah built an altar and he took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Can you imagine all that Noah had to do once he stepped off the ark? The normal person would say, well, I've got a thousand things I've got to do. And, and, and some folks who are, are very meticulous and, and, and very prone to making lists would make a list and they would say, look, I, I've got to build a shelter. I've got to scrounge up some food. I've got to find a suitable place to live. I've got all these things I've got to do. I've got to scout out this new world and see what it's like. And all that was important. But the most important thing for Noah, I want you to see this. The most important thing for Noah was leading his family to worship God. That's the first thing he did when he came off the ark. It was God who told him to build the ark. It was God who told him to get his family into the ark. It was God who brought the creatures into the ark. It was God who shut the door of the ark. It was God who caused the floodwaters to recede. It was God who brought the ark to a safe place. And it was God who told Noah to leave the ark. God is so good. He's so good. So what did he do? He built an altar. As far as we know, this is the first time in the Bible that we have the building of an altar mentioned. The first time. And it was at this wonderful new beginning for Noah, his family, the animals, and the world itself. So he built an altar and he offered a blood sacrifice on that altar. You see, God had told him to bring seven pairs of clean animals. Now, Noah knew instinctively that God did not want him to offer unclean animals as a sacrifice to God. So Noah took some of all the clean animals and he offered a massive burnt offering to God, a sacrifice to God as an act of worship. It was symbolic of his total dedication to the Lord. Glorifying God was Noah's first priority. And God was pleased. The Bible says that God smelled the soothing aroma and it pleased God. Is there anything more fulfilling in this life than pleasing God? You know what Paul said toward the end of his life? 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he said, my ambition is to please the Lord. Can I ask you, what's your ambition? Can I ask you seniors, what's your ambition as you step out into this new beginning, this new life that God has opened the door for you to walk into? What is your ambition? I hope and pray that every one of you will have as your ambition to please the Lord Jesus Christ. So he built an altar. He worshiped God. How blessed we are that God is patient and gracious. And God promises to never, ever destroy every breathing, life-breathing thing on the earth through a flood. He promises never to do that again. And he promises that there will always be a fixed cycle of day and night and a fixed sequence of seasons. It's important that in a world in which we hear all the time that the, the, the climate is going to destroy the planet, we need to remember something, friend. God is in control of what happens to this planet. God is in control. He controls everything. He controls the wind. He controls the rain. He controls the storms. He controls everything that happens on this planet. I am not worried. Listen, I'm not worried one little bit about this, this, uh, this world burning up because of climate control. Let me tell you, friend, God is going to destroy this planet one day. He's going to destroy it by fire. It's not going to be destroyed because we have too much carbon in the air. I promise you that. Now, yeah, if you want, that's fine. You go ahead. That's for the truth of God, by the way. That's not for the pastor. That's for the truth of God. God is in control. I want to remind you that the story we've looked at today is not some kind of random thing that God inserted into the Bible. God inserted this story in the Bible for a purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So what is God teaching us in Genesis chapter 8? What's he teaching these students here? What is he teaching parents and grandparents and children in our midst today? What's he teaching those who are watching by live stream? Well, he's teaching us this. You are made for more. You are made for more. Don't miss God's best for your life. Don't squander your new beginnings. Make the best, make the most of your new beginnings. But how do we do that? I want to drop three thoughts into your heart, three relevant applications for every senior, for every person in this room. Here's the first one. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. I love verse one again, but God remembered Noah. It's a powerful reminder to these students. It's a powerful reminder to everybody in this room that God keeps his promises. Noah believed God's word and he was saved. Can I ask you a question? Have you trusted Jesus as your savior? Have you? The Bible says in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And many times we leave out verse 17, but verse 17 is very important. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why did God the Father send his son to this planet? To save our souls. Jesus is our ark of deliverance. And if we believe in Jesus, if we come into the ark of Christ, we will be saved and delivered from the wrath of God that is to come. And we can have a new beginning. The Bible says if you believe in Jesus, that this verse will be true of you in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Listen to this. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. There's nothing like the new beginning of a new believer who has received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. I hope and pray that you will believe in Jesus today, that you will serve him with all of your heart, and you will experience this wonderful new beginning that Christ can bring into your life. But let me ask another question. We're talking about trust in the Lord. Are you already saved? Are you already saved? You you need to know something. If you're a born again believer, you need to know that God knows everything about your life. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need. And he knows exactly when you need it. There's nothing about your life that is a mystery to God, nothing. He loves you. He cares for you. You belong to him. You've been adopted into his family. And he has promised that no matter the difficulty you might have to walk through in your life, and and seniors, you will walk through difficulties. You'll walk through challenges. You'll walk through times of great sorrow and, and, and great temptation in your life. But I tell you on the authority of God's word that God will keep his promises to you. You, you, can go to, you can go to the bank with that. You can trust God. In Romans 8, 28, Paul wrote, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise God will keep in your life, te- teenagers, I promise you. Don't ever forget You were made for more. Don't sell yourself short when God brings you to a new beginning. Don't waste it. Trust the Lord. Then number two, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. It would have been easy for Noah and his family to grow a little impatient on that ark. When the ark settled into its place there on the mountains of Ararat, they could have easily said, look, Let's grab an axe and let's cut a hole in this thing. Let's get out of here. But you know what they did? They waited on God. They waited on a word from from God. You say, I want you to understand, there are times when you will find yourself in a situation, seniors and others, when you are pressured to compromise and you look for a way out. Or you're anxious to get married. Or you're making a decision about a job offer. Here's the word. Don't 
jump ahead of God. You, you hear me? Look at me, teenagers, seniors. Don't jump ahead of God. Wait on God. That's what Noah did. He waited on God. And God spoke to him and told him exactly what to do and when to do it. And he obeyed God. And God blessed Noah. And Noah's life history is recorded in this Bible. And he's one of the great heroes of faith that you'll find in Hebrews chapter 11. Wait on God. Don't jump ahead of God and make decisions that you will regret and suffer consequences that you wish you didn't have to suffer. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And listen to this. And he will make your path straight. He'll do that for you. He'll do it for these seniors. He'll do it for anybody in this room who's facing your own new beginning. Obey the Lord by expanding your comfort zone. Remember, Ray Pritchard talked about how hard it must have been for Noah and his family to step outside the ark when everything that they knew was gone. Their home was gone. Their landmarks were gone. Their friends were gone. It was a brand new world. And yet, by faith... They stepped out of their comfort zone and they obeyed the Lord. I want to encourage these, these seniors, attempt great things for God in your life. Don't waste your life. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. I'll tell you, you'll be blessed if you do. You are made for more, so trust the Lord, obey the Lord. And finally, number three, glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. It's obvious that the Lord remembered Noah, but it's also obvious that Noah remembered the Lord, right? And he remembered the Lord by building an altar and by focusing the very first thing he did in his life on this new earth was to worship the Lord by offering a sacrifice to God. Listen, seniors, you were created to glorify God. Did you know that? You were not created to make shaboodles of money. You were not created to be successful in the world's eye. You were created, seniors, to bring glory and honor to God. And I want to tell you something. As a born, if you're a born-again believer, I promise you this. If you glorify him, the Bible promises you that you will enjoy him forever, forever. That's, what life, that's why I'm saying you were made for more. In your new beginning, don't forget to dedicate yourself to God. Make worship a priority. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. He said, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Hey, seniors, in your youth, remember God. In your college days, remember God. In your vocation, remember God. In your singleness, remember God. In your marriage, remember God. In your family, remember God. 
In your successes, remember God. In your failures, remember God. In your joys, remember God. In your sorrows, remember God. In your old age, remember God. And at your dying moment, when you're drawing your last breath on this planet, remember God. You're made for more. Don't squander this new beginning in your life whether you're a high school senior, whether you've just moved to Carville and you're starting a new job and your kids are starting a new school, whatever you're, whether you've just had a new baby, whether you've just gotten married or whatever it is, don't waste your new beginning. Don't squander new beginnings. Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm gonna ask our staff and worship team to come. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to what God said to you today through the word. I wanna encourage you to come. If you're here today and you need to be saved, come, come to one of our staff members and just tell them you wanna be saved. You can be saved here today. Or if you're here today and you're saved and you're going through a very difficult problem in your life, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray and claim one of the great promises of God because God always keeps his promises. Or maybe you're here today and God, the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart and he's pinpointed an area in your life where you're not obeying the Lord. You're not obeying him. And the Holy Spirit said, this has got to change. And I want to invite you to come to the altar, bow before the altar and dedicate yourself to the Lord. Dedicate yourself to obeying Jesus and his word. Or maybe God spoke to you because you're not glorifying the Lord. Worship is not your first priority. Let me tell you something, friend. There's nothing more important in your life than worshiping the Lord. Nothing. Than nothing more important than glorifying Him. You can be the, the raging success of the business world. And if you're not glorifying God, if you're not worshiping Him on a regular basis, and I'm not just talking about on Sunday, I'm talking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Sunday. Worship is a seven-day-a-week thing. Is that your first priority? I hope and pray that you'll come and you'll bow before the Lord and you'll commit yourself to Him today. Father, in the name of Jesus, move powerfully in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us not to squander our new beginnings. You've made us for more. And I pray that we wouldn't settle for anything less. In Jesus' name.